I don't know if it's my dream, but it is definitely what I was put on this earth to do. I, I just feel like they're my they're my family, you know. I don't have like a big family or a huge group group of friends that I rely on, so I just make my own little pack with all the animals. Hi, I'm Ricky Tice and you're entering a world gone good. Well, hello, my name is Steve, and this is the place where we shine the light and or find the light in the darkness to prove week after week there's still good out there and plenty of it. This is World Gone Good. You can find all the good there is to have on the World Gone Good's website, worldgonegoodpodcast.com, worldgonegoodpodcast.com. That's easy to remember. You know what else you can find there? A link to email us something good. You know who just did that? A fellow good podcaster named Ethan. He produces the show, and so she left. He wrote and said to us, hey, love your show. We should do something together. And so we did. Do are we are. We are doing something together right now. If you've ever thought to yourself, take this job and shove it, uh, maybe not exactly those words, maybe better words, I don't know. I'm going to go forge head out there on my own, make it on my own, make my dream happen, then this is the show for you. Take a listen to this, the oh-so-good trailer for And So She Left. Hi, I'm Catherine Vesilopoulos. Becoming my own boss wasn't easy. After a decade working in the corporate world, I realized that so many things were out of my control, like layoffs and changes in direction. I didn't like the instability. I didn't want that to define my whole career and professional story. And so I left. I started my own company and achieved so much more than I ever thought possible. Now I'm on a mission to share the entrepreneurial stories of some extraordinary women who are changing the world. Like you, they never gave up on their vision. So I always say for anyone who has an idea that they can't stop thinking about, it's about taking steps in the direction of your dream on a daily basis, micro steps. And that's exactly what I did. There were times for each of these women where everything seemed lost. Now my parents are saying, oh God, she didn't graduate high school. Now she's not going to graduate college. This is a disaster because they had all these high hopes for me. And it was like, what are you doing? When they lost faith in themselves. Yeah, no, I was drinking, I was doing drugs. Like, during that time, your relationships deteriorate, you're not super present, and it's kind of a mask. But no matter the odds, no matter how many people told them no, they persevered, pursued their passions, and achieved their goals. We got to see all these stars, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is our life. Like, we're hanging out with all these people. In case you were wondering, Mario Lopez is aging like a fine wine, so things are all good in the world. (laughs) (laughs) These stories keep me motivated as an independent professional, and I'm sure they'll do the same for you. New episodes of And So She Left are available every Wednesday, wherever you listen. Music by Chris Zabriskie, edited for your enjoyment. And So She Left is made by Kansalta and Ethan Lee. 
And now I can tell you from personal experience, even though I'm not a she, I left my job a year ago and I didn't just survive everybody. I'm proud to say I have thrived. So I'm all in on this podcast. Check out And So She Left wherever you enjoy your favorite podcasts, like where you are listening to us right now. So today we are talking about one of my favorite things, not wine, calm down, not wine, dogs. <laughs> More specifically, dog rescues. We've previously spoken with the Dexter Foundation, Vintage Pet Rescue, and Hera the Dog. Now it's time for you to meet Samson's Sanctuary. So grab your leash and let's get going on our good walk together with co-founder Ricky Tice. Ricky Tice, we met on the streets of Larchmont. Yes, we did. <laughs> and I was I was trying to be coerced into taking home a puppy. And I'm like, oh no. No, no, no. Not by you. <laughs> Another group. Yeah, they were trying to coerce you into taking home a puppy. I'm pretty sure I was trying to coerce you into taking home a big senior pit bull. <laughs> and you know where I lean is the older senior pit bull. No question. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I've had my share of puppies. I don't think I have it in me to do another puppy. Hey, listen, let's start here. We like to start wide on this show. Um, here's a question. What was the first pet that you ever had? How old were you? What was the pet's name? So I was born into like a rescue household. So we always had pets growing up. Um, When I was born, we had two dogs, both that my mother had rescued off the street. Uh, One was a pit bull Sharpay named Bluto, and he had a blue tongue, and he was awesome. And then the other one was like this little corgi shepherd guy, and his name was LD, and... uh, I think it stood for little dog, but those were my two guys that I was, uh, you know, kind of raised with the first few years of my life. And they were definitely like my babysitters. That's amazing. Where, where, where were you, where did you grow up? I was born and raised in New York. Um, I was there most of my life. And then I just moved out to LA about five years ago. What part of New York? I was born in Belrose. It's like right on the Queens Long Island border. And then most of my adult life, I was either in Brooklyn or Manhattan, usually upper Manhattan, Harlem over there. Yeah, I was born at Long Island Jewish Medical Center and spent my formative years in Plainview, New York on Long Island. Uh, and then I we moved to New Jersey and then we moved to Arizona and then we moved to LA. So I got you. I got you. Okay, so you're a New Yorker. Who's come to LA? Let's go through it. Give me three things that are better about New York than LA. Go. Okay. Accessibility. You can get anything at any time, at any anything at any time. Um, I will say the food. There are yep. some re- really good food options in LA, but sometimes I feel like it's a little watered down. I don't know how else to describe it. And the public transport system, because you could get, I mean, obviously New York is a lot smaller than LA, but you can get anywhere within a few minutes. My favorite thing about New York versus LA, and I'm not disparaging LA because I spent 20 years of my life there and I just spent the last friggin' month of my life there. 
uh, is that in New York, when someone says yes, they're going to show up with a bag of blood, like, like a, like a moving van. There'll be a U-Haul. Like they're there for you. But when they say no, don't ask them again. (laughs) Very that. Comparatively, the people of LA, and this is a general, you know, there's a big generalization, but I live there 20 years, so I feel like I make it. No one says yes in LA. And no one says no in LA. Everyone just goes, um, can I let you know? <laughs> That's a, you're like, that is a true experience. <laughs> right? Like your appendix could burst and you'd be like, Ricky, I need you to take me to the emergency room. And you'd be like, can I let you know? Because yeah, everyone's yeah. going to get like a better appendix offer. <laughs> oh my gosh. So true. So true. So you run a sanctuary called Samson Sanctuary. How did this start? Where did this start? We started Samson's uh, last year. I've been, like I said, born into a rescue household. I was always like volunteering with doggies. When I was an adult, I started working in um, shelters in New York City. So I was just always involved in rescue. I No matter what else I do, and I've done some crazy things, like I've had other full careers, um, but no matter what I do, the dogs always find me. And when I moved out to LA, I was um, in the music industry and I was still fostering and, you know, literally finding dogs on the street because I swear they know it's me and they point and they go, I'm coming to you. (laughs) Um, But I decided because I was fostering for a bunch of other rescues and I just thought, you know what, I have like a very clear vision for the way that I would do this. So let me just do it. And I just started really small. Uh, I went to like, after I got my papers done and everything, I went to a shelter and I said, who is your toughest cases? Because I like to take my time with like the scared ones, the, you know, the ones that might have behavioral issues, the sick ones. I'm really like to dive in and be patient and give them the space that they need. Cause I feel that with all the overcrowded shelters and overcrowded rescues that it's more so like, let's get the dogs out of the shelter so they're alive and then let's get them into homes. Um, but I like to take my time with each of them. So I went to that shelter and I said, who's, you know, who's your toughest cases? And they brought these three little dogs out that they were like, these guys are pretty much unadoptable. One had cancer. She needed like $10,000 worth of surgery. She was covered in tumors, but she was so sweet. Um, another one got returned for it's, an irresponsible owner was trying to kiss him when he was eating and he bit him. And then the other one was just so afraid that he, you couldn't touch him. You could, if you looked at him, he tried to run away and he actually did try to run away when we were taking him from the shelter. So I took those three and I said, they're not unadoptable. I can adopt them out. And they are all in amazing, wonderful homes now. And, um, so that's how we started. We just started small. And then for a couple of months, I became the puppy person when everyone had a litter, they'd be like, Oh, let's, you know, can you help with the puppies? Um, I wound up at one point having eight puppies in my house. Um, but I really have a soft spot for like the old seniors and the, the big babies. Cause we named Samson's after Samson, who was a big, uh, Sharpay, either like boxer or American bulldog mix. And he was just like a big goofball, but he, 
always wanted to make sure that everyone was very well taken care of in his little pack. He was always checking on everyone going from room to room. He always wanted everyone to be together. And, uh, he passed unexpectedly in 2020 when he was only six and I had already started the idea for my rescue. And I said, well, there's the name Samson Sanctuary. Were you doing rescue in New York? Yeah, in New York, I was always fostering when I wasn't finding dogs. I was fostering for other rescues. And I was also a kennel attendant at Animal Haven, which is a non-kill shelter in Soho. I used to volunteer for them. And then one day I saw that they were hosting for a kennel attendant. And I was like, I would love to be here full time. I'm here for free all the time anyway. So let's do this. That's amazing. I was a kennel attendant and a dog walker at the Palm Springs Animal Shelter when we lived there for three years that I've kind of blocked out that ever happened. Not that part, but the living in Palm Springs part for three years. That's a whole other story, everybody. God, I'm just bashing every city this episode, aren't I? Uh, Palm Springs, great place to visit. I don't recommend living there. But what do I know? They're going to sue me. But I was I I was in charge of this like whole group of it was like group number five of kennels, almost all pitties, yep, <laughs> almost all eighty pounds, almost you know the double uh, the double gated entry that I would just let those little guys, big guys, I should say, sweethearts, just race up and down 30, 40 times, then put the leash on them because <laughs> they were so energized. And I had the best time doing that. I did that for years. We moved up here. We did not move. I'm not kidding. I think one of them got adopted in the two plus years I was there. We moved up to Santa Barbara and like seven of them, literally seven of them got adopted out right after I left. And we realized maybe it was me. They just wanted to hang out with you. (laughs) A lot of times, I mean, most of the time I always say don't judge a dog by their shelter behavior because they're so overstimulated. It's loud. There's so many smells. There's new dogs coming in and out. There's new people coming in and out and not saying that, you know, they should have a kid poking him in the eye. But most times if you just let them decompress, they are just happy and chill. And they were just like, imagine you're being in jail on guard all the time. And these creatures bigger than you are constantly coming and looking at you and trying to, you know, (laughs) put something on your neck. It would be terrifying. So, uh, going into this as a kid from being a kid living through it, did it feel natural to you to just come back to it? Oh yeah. Honestly, I never really stopped. It, it, even if I say like out loud to everyone, I'm taking a break. It just, I, I'm telling you, I will be driving down the street and a stray dog will come walk directly to my car. It's like a joke at this point. Like, all right, just get in. That happened <laughs> a couple months ago. I was like, all right, get in. I don't know what else to do. You obviously found me. Now it's the joke we say Samson sends them to me because he's, you know, he's got to keep me busy down here. But yeah, it's it's just who I am. I can't see a creature that needs help and not help. And um, now starting my own rescue, uh, a whole community knows that too. So my inbox is constantly full (laughs) with creatures that need help. Now, are you the kind of sanctuary um, rescue that has a location or are you doing this out of pretty much your home and then you're placing people in foster homes? Listen to me, placing people. 
<laughs> I call that call my dogs all the time. I'm like, I people laugh at me because I'm like, oh my god, you're such a good person. I say that all the time to the dogs. I'm like, what a good person you are today. Okay, but you get what I'm saying. Are you are you in a in a are you doing this out of your home or do you have a location? Yeah, so we are strictly foster based. Um, the, a lot of them do wind up at some point in my house, but. Um, when we pull a dog from the shelter, we can only pull them from the shelter if we have, a, you know, an approved foster home that we have vetted to make sure that they're qualified, you know, ready and that it's a good fit. Um, we also rescue from South Korea and the illegal dog meat trade over there. Wow. And we do work with a shelter over there. We have like a team on the ground in South Korea that we talk to every day. And the dogs over there, when we save them over there, they have a shelter to go to, but they can't board their freedom flight to LAX unless we have a foster here or an adopter. Some people just adopt right away. They connect with, you know, the puppy's picture, the story, and they know they're ready. Um, and then in that case, that's great. They go straight to their forever home. But yeah, we can only save dogs unless we have foster homes, which is probably the most heartbreaking thing for me because people will send me pictures of dogs, you know, on the street or that their owners have left them tied outside and they don't want them anymore. Or, you know, dogs that are red listed that are going to get euthanized by 4 PM today. And I'm like, I would take them all and figure out how to fundraise for them all, but I just don't have a place to put them. It's not safe. So fosters always needed. Definitely. Does it drive you crazy when you go online and you see people like post a picture of a dog and everyone's like, go get him, go get him. And those people start writing, I pledge $30. I pledge $10. I pledge 20 Like whenever I'm online and I see that, I'm always just like, why don't one of you do something mm-hmm. as opposed to telling everybody else? But also when people start pledging money, I'm like, who are you pledging? What is happening? It's mm-hmm. not a telethon. Like what? Right. Right, right. It's essentially just like a, like an like an extra comment under a picture. I mean, sometimes some some of the people that do like say that, oh, I pledge, I pledge, they really do follow up with whatever rescue winds up taking the dog and they do send the money. But that is it's such a small percentage of the time. And I feel like a lot of times people are doing that to like motivate someone to save the dog. But just like you said, like, go do something. Why don't you foster? It It got to a point like maybe a month ago, a month or two months ago, where it was so bad with like all of these dogs, like so many dogs every day getting euthanized and people were like bullying us online. Like you should do something. And it's like, why don't you do something instead of bullying rescues with your thumbs behind your phone, go volunteer, help dogs get some exercise. You can get them seen more if you take pictures and post them. I know not all of the dogs are able to interact with volunteers but a lot of them are you know and there's not enough so definitely just like go do something or the people that I do love to engage with like online are the people that come with a solution and they say hey this dog is going to get put down by 4 p.m today or whatever the situation is um I can foster from this date until this date right you know maybe it's not ideal but even if it's like a temporary solution Because what people don't understand is that when you ask a rescue to drop everything and save a dog, it is everyone on the team dropping everything to save that dog by that deadline. And sometimes when rescues rush to just get a dog out, just get them saved so they don't die, they wind up maybe putting the dog in boarding, which could be an even more stressful environment. You know, it's 
it's not fair to take a dog with no plan and then just kind of, you know, fly by the seat of your pants and the dog is the one that winds up suffering. So it's really hard to find that balance between like, yes, we want to save everyone, but also we want to save everyone responsibly and make sure that on the way we are not like mentally affecting these dogs or giving them more anxiety that's going to cause behavioral issues that's going to make it harder for them to get adopted or harder for them to adjust to their forever home, you know? And I also think that, you know, I worked at the Santa Barbara Humane Society and you can go to the Humane Society and get vetted through them and you can go take a dog home for the weekend and then mm-hmm. bring the dog yeah. back. And it's just what you said. When I was working for the Humane Society, I was working with the cats, actually. And then there was a dog there named Haley. And I believe kind of like your story with your dog is my old dog, Hubie, who's no longer with us, sent me to this dog for a reason because she's now our dog. But we fostered her over 10 weekends. But she was she had an unadoptable do not walk sign on her cage. And that's the first thing you saw. And then you saw this right. beautiful lab husky who was cowering in the back of her cage of you know that she lived in, and she didn't understand that there was anything else out there until we got her out there. But the really amazing thing was I had to go to the people at the Humane Society because this was just a normal thing at, at Palm Springs Animal Shelter. I said, do you guys have any of the adopt me vests that I could take with Haley this weekend? And they're like, the what? And I'm like, you yeah. don't – wait, you guys don't have any adopt me vests? I'm not some yeah. genius, everybody. I was like, well, how do people know that? So wait, what? So they ordered them and they got one for her. It was really funny because she's a she's 80 pounds and it was like for a 40 pound mm-hmm. dog. So she just sort of wore it sort of open everybody. Like the Velcro on the bottom didn't connect, <laughs> but it was kind of like, it was like a cape. But, um, but I got it, you know, got her little arm, you know, got her arms through it, but we would take her around. And now I was walking around with my two dogs and a dog with a vest on that said, adopt me. And people would stop and go, oh my God, what a beautiful dog. Where did you get her? Why is she? And then you have that conversation. It's like Mm -hmm. a walking billboard. So on that note, um, do you encourage people to do that, to get involved that way? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've done that before with dogs that are, you know, deemed unadaptable before I started Samson's. Oh, can you just take this dog for the weekend and see if they're able to adjust to a home, see if they're able to live with other animals, just, you know, feel them out. And it's like, more often than not, after 24 hours, the decompression starts, you know, they start to come out of their shell. It's like, okay, the world isn't so scary. And some dogs are harder than others. Don't get me wrong. I've had, you know, fosters that take seven months to to get the bravery up to like go on a walk, you know, but then others, it's like the minute you get them out of the shelter, they fall asleep in the car and they're just like, Oh, thank you. I just needed a break. Right. So I definitely encourage people to do that. I mean, these, these poor dogs, a lot of the time, if they have those signs, those, you know, do not walk signs, of course they're scared in their kennel. It's so loud and they never get to stretch their legs. It's like, like literally being a caged animal, you know? A lot of people don't want to foster because they say it'll be too hard for me to give the dog up once I foster Mm -hmm. them. What do you say to that? Um, I say, would you rather them dead? I mean, I don't know. I don't know how, how, how nice, much more nicely I can put that. But really, like, I have heard that from people that have contacted me. Oh, this dog is going to be euthanized by 4 p.m. And they'll say, I can foster. And we go through the process. And then they'll say, actually, I just don't know if I can do it because, you know, how am I going to give her up in the end? Okay, well, now she's dead today. I, that's fine. That's your decision. It's really unfortunate. Um, 
I do have fosters that have, you know, people say foster fail. I always say foster win because that means one less transition for the dog. If they're already in their perfect home, (laughs) that's even better. Um, We have a couple of those, but we also have fosters that are super dedicated to fostering. And of course they cry every time their foster dog leaves and it's, you know, like giving their baby away, but they just tell themselves like, listen, if I didn't, adopt out this one, I wouldn't have met this one. And then I wouldn't have been able to help this one. And it's a whole just like chain effect of the dogs that you get to meet, help, save. And also you learn so much, so much when you're fostering dogs that you never would have thought, oh yeah, dogs do that. Yes, they do. And you can try it one time. It's not like, yes, it's not a full-time thing. You can do one and then be Absolutely. like, it worked or didn't work. And then you can be like, I'll try it again in a couple months. Right. And the best part is it's free. So what what's wrong with having a free little snuggle buddy? I don't know a better sales pitch. Do you, do you all provide everything that a foster family needs? Yeah, we provide everything, whether it's crate, food, obviously, you know, if they need to go to the vet, training, uh, we cover everything. Some of our fosters, you know, they like to spoil the dogs and they'll cook them food or they'll say, oh, you know, we'll cover food. We'll do this. It's their extra little donation. But we fully cover anything. And all of my fosters know if they if they need anything, they just hit us up and we Amazon it to them right away. Do you see this as your life mission? Do you see this? I mean, is this your dream? I don't know if it's my dream, but it is definitely what I was put on this earth to do. Uh, I cannot escape it. I can't. And even when I try, I can't. And there's, I've had some pretty cool jobs, you know, like when I was in New York, I've always been in the, in the performance industry in the music industry. Um, I actually won a Grammy in 2021 and still I was like, actually I'd rather pick up dog poop for free and save the babies. I just, I don't know what it is. Stresses me out. It tires me out, but I, I just feel like they're my, they're my family. You know, I don't have like a big family or a huge group group of friends that I rely on. So I just make my own little pack with all the animals. We close these shows with three questions. Don't panic. You know the answers. Question number one, so easy. Where do people find you online? How do they support you? Yeah, you can find us anywhere online. You can find us samsonsanctuary.org. We're on Instagram, at Samson Sanctuary. TikTok, at Samson Sanctuary. Are you a 501c3? Yep, we are a 501c3. So if you want to donate to us, it is tax deductible and much appreciated. The final two questions go back to anything you want to say that we've already talked about or anything you feel like you want to talk about. Question number one is, who inspires you? Hmm. Honestly, the girl that I work with in South Korea, my main contact on my team over there, her name is Julia, and she inspires me so much in many aspects, but especially in dog rescue, she is out here. It's scary over there. Like people breed dogs to sell them to the meat trade. They have, you know, just a bunch of land with a bunch of dogs chained up. And she is like a warrior for the animals and goes and talks to these people. She tries to either get the dogs, you know, surrendered so that she can find them a safe home 
If they won't do that, she offers to spay and neuter them. And she's been in some scary situations. One dog that she tried to save him for a year and a half. Finally, after a year and a half, she got him. And he did come to us. He he does have a happy ending. He's fine. Um, but she got like a chair thrown at her that day or something. The guy who said, fine, you can have him. She showed up and he was drunk and he was throwing things at her. So she is such an inspiration for me because also I do know that everyone in her life tells her she's crazy and she never gives up. I think that's all of us. (laughs) If I had had a dime for every person who told me I'm crazy. Yes, that's true. I wouldn't have to work a day in my life again. (laughs) I'd be rich. I could save all the dogs. (laughs) The final question is not a question. It is simply finishing a statement. Again, any way you want to finish it. Anyway. And it's as easy as this. Tell me something good. Tell you something good. Yesterday, I had two adoptions of two Pitbull Sharpay mixes, which are one of my soft spots and everyone at Samson's. Um, And they were actually rescued from the same shelter in the same week. I took them both because I saw them and I couldn't leave one behind. So I got one one day. One three days later, and they both got adopted yesterday. Thank you, Ricky, for sharing your good. Oh, and if you're wondering what Ricky won that little Grammy we heard about for, it was just a little song called Black Parade for some barely known artist you probably never heard of, someone named Beyonce? next time on World Gone Good. You know what? Just take a breath. Life is long. And, you know, there's nobody holding you back from pivoting at any point in time. You know, in my case, everything is about, you know, really trying to make the world a better place. Jody Boyman lives. I mean, she truly lives out loud, y'all. She started her career as a photographer, flying around the world to capture images for all sorts of places, including Life Magazine. Now, she, along with her brother, is the driving force behind Hungry Planet Foods. But I think the best part is how we met. She crashed our holiday party this past December. Yep, that's right. She just crashed my house and joined our holiday party. I can't wait for you to hear this one on our next all-new episode. Until then, be good.